Children four years through sixth grade can be dismissed to go to KWC Junior with Miss Priscilla. You guys have a great time back there. Well, here's where we're going today, church. Kind of the, the big idea is Jesus became like us so that we could become like him. We're going to flesh out that statement and what it means and what it doesn't mean. And in the process, I want to encourage you to hold on. We're going to cover some of the richest and deepest texts in all of Scripture. In a sense, if you'd think of it as we're, we're gold miners looking for nuggets. And today we're going to we're going to come across four doctrinal nuggets, four important truths about what we believe, specifically what we believe about the person of Jesus Christ. So four doctrinal beliefs, and we'll also pick up five practical nuggets, five applications from our text today, but all of these come back to this core principle Jesus became like us so that we could become like him. We are in the book of Hebrews. Love for you to turn there if you have not already. We are in chapter 2, and we're going to pick it up with verse 5. It says this, It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. So, The writer to the Hebrews has been talking about angels quite a bit and talked about how Jesus is greater than the angels. And he continues on with that idea and just says, it's not the angels that sit on the throne. They don't now and they won't then. And then he says, there's a place where someone has testified. And one of the things that we see throughout the book of Hebrews, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago when we started the study, you're going to see a lot of Old Testament references because the writer is writing to the Jews, to the Hebrews, to those that knew the Old Testament, that looked to the Old Testament. And so the Hebrew writer points back to the Old Testament, oftentimes to connect dots And to better illustrate his main point of like the whole book of of Hebrews, Jesus is greater. He's the only one that can truly be our anchor. And we have to hold on to, to Jesus and our faith in who he is and what he's done and what he's going to do. And so the Hebrew writer points back to Psalm chapter 8, verses 4 through 6, where we find these words. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. By referencing Psalm 8, the Hebrew writer connects some dots. Specifically, we see him connecting dots and showing that, that David testified. And and this testimony is of David, when you go back to Psalm 8, David is reflecting and he's thinking about his own life and humanity, because the word that he used, what is man that you are mindful of him, 
and some translations translate that as, as what is humanity or what are men and women that you think of them. And that could be accurate, but I like how this is specific in that the Hebrew writer is connecting not just to humanity in general, although there is that, and that's where the Jews are going to start in their thought process, and they think back to David's testimony. Yes, even though we don't deserve God to think about us, He does. Even though we don't deserve for God to really care about us, He does. And it blew David's mind. He was in awe of who God is and God's care for David. Specifically, personally, for him. And so the Hebrew writer is, is pointing back to David's testimony, but as he introduces and, and quotes this phrase, son of man, no doubt the Hebrews would have also been thinking of another text, the book of Daniel, and Daniel's testimony that connects to this. And Daniel's use of this phrase, son of man, in the book of Daniel, he, he has a vision in Daniel chapter 7 where he describes someone who has the appearance of a son of man. And as he goes on to describe it, we see that Daniel was in fact describing Jesus, one who sits on the throne. He has the appearance of a human, but he's divine. Human, but on the throne, over all coming from the clouds, who's given authority, glory, and power, and to whom all people worshiped and whose kingdom will never be destroyed. And so even though it's not specifically spoken here, most scholars believe that the Hebrews, as they read that, they, they would have been connecting dots. And certainly we're going to see a third testimony and a third way that Son of Man is presented, that it is Jesus, in his own testimony, oftentimes, and in fact, the phrase that, or title that he used the most about himself on earth is he called himself the Son of Man. The Son of Man. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. The Son of Man. The Son of Man. Jesus used that phrase time and time again. And the Hebrew writer is going to continue to unpack this and shows specifically how this passage not only was just David thinking about, wow, God is so good, to seeing the fulfillment of this passage in the person of Jesus Christ so that we really understand how good God really is, that he would think of us as he does. The other thing I want to point out in these verses that I have highlighted here is that he put everything under his feet. Would you do me a favor and say everything? everything. Yeah, that's pretty good. I think you can do better, and I'm hoping you can do better, because it, it would help me to, you know, keep going if, if you can help me out. Everything on the count of three. One, two, three. That, that's pretty good. I think I can keep going. He put everything under his feet. In putting 
everything under him. God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to him. So I, I, I think it's important that we note something here. The Hebrew writer is talking of the already but not yet. And there are different ways that we live in the already but not yet. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're a part of the kingdom of God, but we still know that there's a, a not yet. We haven't experienced the fullness of the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? Like we have the presence of God with us. There's the already, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. But there's still the not yet. There's still a yearning for glory in heaven. But there's also the understanding, the reality. The Hebrew writer is saying everything's been put under Jesus' feet. Yet, or however, or but, at present, we don't see everything subject to him. If we look at the news, we might go, is Jesus really on the throne? Because this world's a mess, and we want to say, you all need Jesus, right? If we, if we look at maybe some of our coworkers and or Others that we go to school with, we like, y'all need Jesus. You go to a family reunion, you're probably looking around going, y'all need Jesus. If you look in the mirror, <laughs> you, you might say, maybe not y'all, but I need Jesus. We see the already, but not yet. We, we know that he's on the throne. Do we know that? But is it fair to say that not everybody and not everything acts as if Christ is on the throne? So I love that the Hebrew writer is real. Keeping it 100%. Yes, God is on his throne. Jesus is on the throne. But I'll acknowledge it doesn't always look like it. It doesn't always look like it, but know that he is. I also love that the Hebrew writer doesn't get stuck here, because we can get stuck on, on not everything subject to him. We, we can get stuck on all that's wrong in the world today. But that's not where the he, Hebrew writer wants to focus. Where does the Hebrew writer want to focus? Any idea? Jesus. Absolutely. Jesus. Verse 9. But what we do see who is Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. There is so much, again, there is so much in the book of Hebrews and so much in this passage that we're looking at today and even in this, this one verse, verse 9. We're going to focus in on Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels, going back to Psalm 8, connecting some dots, it means he became human. We, we celebrate that as Christmas. In Jesus being born into this world. And now he's crowned with glory. And it's important that we understand 
Jesus didn't get a participation crown. God the Father says, hey, you became a human. Way to go. You get, you get this crown just because he became a human. He was crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because he suffered death. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Again, the Hebrew writer points to the grace of God. When, when David said, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him? He's connecting dots. And also might help us to think of John three sixteen. For God so loved the world he gave. And to humbly think about the love and care of God that by the grace of God, not something that we've earned, not something we deserve, but because God is good, Jesus came. And he suffered death. And he suffered death for who? For everyone. For everyone. So there's something important that we need to understand. There's a lot that is in those first several verses Here's the, the first nugget that we're going to point out. There were other nuggets there, other glimpses, but we're not going to kind of peel the stuff away and really pull those nuggets out yet. I want to focus on this one first. Jesus reigns over all. The Hebrew writer says that everything has been put under his feet. There is nothing that hasn't been put under his feet. Jesus is king. The Hebrew writer is very clear on this. Everything. Everything means what? Everything. All. It means Jesus reigns over all. Everything and everyone must answer to Jesus. So let me kind of hit pause and say don't be fooled nor discouraged. I think there are those that become fooled and think Jesus isn't on the throne. We can do whatever we want to do. I think there are also those that become discouraged. So, well, this seems to be a big mess. Is Jesus really in charge? Know this. He is on the throne. Everyone and everything must submit, will submit to his authority. We see in scripture, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will be a day when all acknowledge that Jesus reigns over all. Let's keep digging. Verse 10, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. So I'm going to focus in on this word pioneer. Depending on what translation you're reading, you, you may see it as pioneer or one who leads the way. You, you may see it as captain, which I, I think is fitting seeing as some of the words that were used in chapter 1 and the nautical terms that they are uh, and the, the background that we see in chapter 1 and we'll see later on as we continue our, our study in the book of Hebrews. So I think captain could be a, a great word here as far as uh, continuing this nautical theme 
that the Hebrew writer seems to be putting into this book. And captain is, is one who commands or oversees, but we also often think of the captain of a, a ship, of a, of a vessel on the water. One other word that it's often translated as well as pioneer and captain is founder, the one who originates or establishes. And I think collectively, you take those three, they really give a, us a better understanding of the salvation, that salvation is God's plan and it's his provision. He's the pioneer, he's the captain, he's the founder. He's the one who came up with the idea and he's the one that provided the way for salvation. It's God's idea. Jesus paved the way and he paid the way for us to be saved. And then this idea of perfect almost makes us think, well, was Jesus not perfect? And it's not perfection as in sinlessness and that Jesus wasn't uh, sinless and, and had to be like brought along and we'll address this more in detail in a moment it's this idea of complete it's this idea of the right time that that jesus had to experience everything that he experienced on earth so that he could be the the final final one to to die on the cross the one to die on the cross for our sins and then verse 11, both the one who makes people holy, who's the one who makes people holy? Jesus. And those who are made holy, who is that? Class participation. Us. Are made holy, are of the same family. Some uh, translations use this as, or translate it as, have the same father, which I, I think ties in and, and actually is what the Hebrew writer is, is going after. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to the, my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Just in case you missed it, here's our second nugget, doctrinal nugget, important belief for us to hold on to. Jesus made a way for us to have access to God as his children. We see this in, in a number of places. Romans chapter 8 verses 15 through 17 is one of them. And in that it says, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. I love the Hebrew writer. It says, the one who makes people holy and the, one who have, the ones who have been made holy are of the same family. They have the same Father, in Scripture, and maybe some of you grew up in a tradition where you heard uh, fellow believers call each other brother or sister, right? Uh, it's still a practice in, in some places, and I've shared this before. We've got a, a, a pastor friend of mine that oftentimes will initiate a text, hey, brother, and then something else, Right? And we think of brothers and sisters in Christ, but do you catch what the Hebrew writer is saying here? It says, Jesus calls us brothers and sisters. Does that blow your mind? That Jesus would call us brothers and sisters? It, it shouldn't 
in one way, it shouldn't be a new concept if, if we know the Lord's Prayer. And I always thought the Lord's Prayer, it caught me that Jesus, when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, he said, and he begins, our Father. He doesn't just say, call on my dad. He says, our Father. Here, here's something. Growing up, I didn't want anybody else to call my dad their dad. I didn't hardly even want my brothers to call my dad their dad. Like, that's my dad. I don't want to share my dad. Did he, anybody else relate to that? I, I don't want to share dad. He's my dad. And my dad can beat up your dad. My dad's better than your dad. Like, he's my dad. But Jesus says, our father. I love that. I love that. Jesus made a way for us to have access to God as his children. That it's those who are in Christ that are the brothers and sisters of Christ and who can truly call God the Father, Father, Dad. It's an amazing doctrinal truth. Here's the third doctrinal nugget, and then we'll, we'll dive in a little bit deeper. Jesus became 100% human. This is one of the most important important doctrinal truths that you can know. Jesus became 100% human. He wasn't part God, part human. He's the God-man, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote uh, that an affirmation of the divinity of Jesus is required to be saved in Romans chapter 10. We have to believe that Jesus is God. That's an important understanding, doctrinal truth. It's not addressed here in chapter 2 that we're looking at today, that Jesus is God, but the Hebrew writer does address it in chapter 1, which we already looked at a couple weeks ago, and will continue to point to the divinity of Christ as we continue in our study of Hebrews, and it's certainly supported in the rest of Scripture. So we have to believe that Jesus is God, but we also see in Scripture, 2 John chapter 1, verse 7, that we have to believe that Jesus became 100% human. John gives a warning to those who deny Christ's true humanity and says they're promoting the doctrine of the Antichrist. If they deny the humanity of Christ. We can get real technical on you for just a little bit. The theological term used to describe this biblical truth is the hypostatic union. Hypo, H-Y-P-O, static, just like it sounds. The hypostatic union teaches that Jesus was fully God and fully man. That when Jesus came to earth, he became 100% man. He was still 100% God. Now, if you know math, this might mess with your brain. But here's the thing. Whenever we try to put God into human understanding, there's going to be some challenges. There's going to be some limitations. We're going to have a hard time completely understanding the nature, the character 
of God. But what we see in Scripture testifies to this truth, that there is no mixture or dilution of either nature, that He is one united person, fully God, fully human, Jesus Christ. But why? Why did Jesus have to become human? Why did Jesus have to become human? Why is it important that we believe that Jesus became 100% human? Verse 14 will help us begin to answer that question. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Because we were born under the law, Galatians tells us, Christ had to be born under the law so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is the devil we're going to get into this in just a moment but it's important to understand that jesus had to become human so that he could die as god he can't die so jesus had to become human so that he could die what else do we see? Why else did Jesus had, have to become 100% human? Verse 15, And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Isn't fear a horrible master? Verse 17, we continue to answer that question. For this reason, here's why, he had to be made like them. He became like us. Why? Fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. As, as priest, Jesus is a bridge builder. That's what priest means. He's a bridge builder between a holy God and sinful humanity. We needed a bridge of grace. That is made possible because Jesus became 100% man, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus had to come to earth so that we could go to heaven. Jesus had to become man so that he could lead us, take us to heaven. He became like us. Back when I was a youth pastor, when I started my youth pastor days, the internet was just barely going. We didn't have internet at the, the church uh, when I first started it as youth pastor. Google wasn't around or at least wasn't really known of and stuff like that. So back in my day, early on, you had to go to books. If you wanted like an illustration and things to kind of like, well, I'm going to help out my, my, my talk, my presentation, you would go to a book. Now I usually would just I'll do a search online and, and try to find things if I haven't already taken a note from, from different things that are going on. And so I bought a number of these books back in the day to, to help with presentations, to, to help drive home a, a point. And, and this particular book has a, a, a pr pretty good illustration about Jesus becoming man. I'm going to just read it to you. In the, in the past, I had just kind of memorized it and and giving it basically, you know, not necessarily word for word, but, but get the idea across. But I'm going to go ahead and read it. It was a snowy Christmas Eve inside the warm house. The Christmas tree 
was cheerfully ablaze with lights and surrounded by dozens of presents. The man's wife and children were dressed and ready to leave for church. Come with us, they urged, for they loved him. Not me, he snapped. I don't believe all that religion garbage. For many years, the man's wife had been trying to tell him about Jesus Christ and the salvation he offers, how God's son had become a human being in order to show us the way to heaven. Nonsense, the man always said. The family left for church and the man was all alone in his cozy country home. He glanced out the window at the cold, snowy scene outside. He turned to warm himself by the fire. But as he turned, his eyes caught a movement in the snow outside, and he looked. Cats, three young cats walking slowly past his window. The fools, he thought, they'll freeze for sure. The man put on his hat and coat and opened the door. A blast of wintry air sent a shiver through his body. Come here, cats. Come inside where there's warmth and food. You'll die out there. But the cats ran away, frightened by the stranger at the door. He walked outside. Come back. Don't be afraid. I, I want to save you. But the cats were gone. It was too late. Well, I did everything I could for him, the man muttered to himself. What more could I do? I'd have to become a cat myself in order to reach them and save them. If I became a cat, I could tell them and show them. They would have to believe me then, unless they were fools. And just as he reached the door, the church bells rang in the distance. The man paused for a second and listened. Then he went in by the fire, got down on his knees, and wept. Good story, right? Except it leaves out a very important biblical truth. Jesus didn't just come to show us the way to heaven. Jesus didn't just come to show us how to be better humans. Jesus came that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. In our story, Jesus didn't just become a cat. He died for the cats. To make atonement, or some translations, propitiation, it's the payment. It's, it's to satisfy the wrath of God with a gift. To bring the account into balance. Sin had to be paid for. And the only payment for sin is death. Scripture says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus had to become man so that he could die on the cross for our sins. He's not just the priest, he's the sacrifice of the priest. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So here the, the final reason why Jesus had to become human and the author connects the dots to others. Jesus had to become human in order to be tempted. Jesus had to become human 
in order to be tempted. Because as God, we see in Scripture, James 1, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt. Jesus had to be tempted so that He could overcome temptation, so that He could truly prove, show Himself to be the sinless Son of God. Jesus had to be sinless to die for our sins. Unfortunately, there are people that get this messed up, and in trying to understand and embrace the humanity of Jesus, that Jesus became like us so that we could become like him, they miss things, and they think that Jesus became human, and in his humanity, he sinned. If he sinned, we have no hope. If he sinned, he is automatically disqualified as our Savior, because He is not the spotless Lamb of God. But that's not what Scripture tells us about our Jesus, is it? It tells us that Jesus was sinless, and He had to be sinless to die for our sins. He became like us so that we could become like Him. Five practical nuggets. I'm going to just throw them at you real fast. Put them all up on the screen so that you can fill in the blanks. I'm not going to take a lot of time on these, but I want to just encourage you. Here's some practical application from what we see in these verses. Number one, we need to embrace His grace. We need to embrace His grace. We need to embrace the grace, receive the gift that Jesus has provided, and experience a right relationship with God. We need to know that we have a merciful and faithful high priest. He gets us. The Hebrew writer is going to unpack that much more in the coming chapters. But know this, he gets us. He understands what it's like to be human, and we need to embrace his grace and allow him to make us holy. He became like us so that we could become like him. He wants us to be holy that begins by embracing his grace Two, go to your father go to your father and i'm not saying this as a a mom who's upset with their child and say go to your father i'm saying this in love and encouragement go to your father There are many a day that I went to my father for protection, many a day that I went to my father for encouragement, many a day that I went to my father for provision, many a day that I I looked at my father for identity and direction. My earthly father, how much more so should we be doing the same with our heavenly father? Scripture gets it right when it says what love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. It's an amazing, amazing truth. And we need to go to our Father. We need to embrace that truth. So I encourage you, go to your Father. Find His protection, His encouragement, His provision, your identity in Him and His will for your life. Number three, don't be afraid. Again, fear is a horrible master. 
We don't have to be a slave to fear. We don't have to be a slave to the fear of death because Christ has conquered death. So he became like us so that we could become like him, that we could be set free from the fear of death. Don't be afraid. Practical application. Practical nugget to take with us. Number four, fight with his help. Our last verse that we looked at, Jesus was tempted and he's able to help us in our time of temptation. I love this. We, we see this like with video games or other things. When somebody's accomplished something, they've gone to the next level, like then they're able to help somebody else. Well, this is what you need to do. There's, there's this right here. If you, if you go to this spot, this is what you need to do. Coaching is about here's what you need to do. If you experience something, I want you to be able to have success. Here's what you need to do. If we want to overcome temptation, what's the best way to overcome temptation? Fight with his help. He overcame temptation, and guess what? He wants us to do the same. And he's given us everything we need to do just that. Scripture says, he's given us everything we need for godliness, to overcome temptation. So we, we fight with his help. Last practical nugget, throne check. Throne check. Jesus became like us so that we could become like him. In becoming like him, Jesus makes us holy, right? And we talked about that earlier. So holy, that's what he does for us. So we could become like him. Check. Became like us so that we could become like him. He calls God the Father, Father, and we're able to call God the Father, Father because of Jesus, right? He became like us so that we could become like him. Check. We have eternal life. We don't have to fear death, just like Jesus. Check. We can overcome temptation as Jesus did. He became like us so we could become like him. Check. But sit on the throne? Can't check that box. He became like us so that we can become like him, but that doesn't mean that we sit on the throne. It doesn't mean that we have equal authority to the Son of God. We have to check ourselves and perform a, a throne check. He's him. He's him. And we're not. And so we worship him. We submit to him. We surrender to him. We become subject to him because we understand that all things, everything has been put under his reign that he's God and we're not. He became like us so that we could become like him. What it means, what it doesn't mean. A lot of great nuggets there in the book of Hebrews in chapter two. We're gonna close by singing
uh, a song that you're, many of you are familiar with. It's in Christ alone. I want to go ahead and read verse 2, though, before we sing it. it. Ties into what we just talked about. In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God, 100% God, in helpless babe, 100% man. The gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. The word from today, propitiation or atonement. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. Would you stand if you're able? And let's worship the one who sits on the throne.